Skateboarding is an art form. It is a medium of expression unlike anything else in our world. When you watch Tony Hawk spin around after flying out of a halfpipe, or Rodney Mullins spinning wildly and flipping his board in seemingly impossible ways, you're seeing an individualistic style of skateboarding that they've created for themselves. Rodney Mullen once described skating as connecting disparate information and bringing it together in unexpected ways. This philosophy is the foundation of skating. For example, a staircase becomes a gap for skaters to conquer. Skaters begin to see the world around them as a giant skate park. Can I ollie over this? Can I manual that? Even in a controlled environment like a vert ramp, the creativity that goes into connecting mind-boggling feats with all different kinds of terrain is what makes professional skateboarding so incredible to witness. This philosophy of connecting disparate information is something that is often used in game design too. Pulling separate concepts together in order to create an identity for the game in question, establishing pacing through variety in a game's design and mechanics, or developing the player's skill set through fun diversions that set them up for success in the long run. These are but a few examples of how games can piece together elements from all over the place to create one unified experience. And it's what made Tony Hawk's Pro Skater such an amazing game. The Tony Hawk games are monumentally important to the history of video games, skateboarding, and the world as we know it. Neversoft managed to accomplish so much with their little game, an immediately accessible control scheme, an addictive and satisfying gameplay loop, ingenious design concepts that focused on improvement and replayability. These were all ingredients for some of the most critically acclaimed games of all time. The games legitimized skateboarding in the public consciousness and got kids around the world interested in skating, including me. And although I've never been very good at it, I love skateboarding far more than any other sport, and I have to thank Pro Skater for introducing me to it. And from what I understand, I'm not alone. In 2001, more American kids rode skateboards than played baseball, and I have no doubt the games played a part in that. Simply put, I don't play Tony Hawk because I skate. I skate because I played Tony Hawk. But all good things must come to an end. The Tony Hawk series experienced a slow decline throughout its original run, followed by a steep drop-off with a slew of games that nobody really likes talking about. And while THPS left a permanent mark on skateboarding in the sport, certainly shows no signs of fading out. With it even making its debut at the Olympics, skateboarding isn't the marketable sport that it used to be. Of course, there is integrity in this, but it is definitely true that the world has already experienced that skateboarding boom from the late 90s to early 2000s. And most of popular culture has moved on. Movies like Thrashin' aren't coming out anymore, Rocket Power died long ago, and the kids that wanted skateboards for their birthday have since grown up. The skaters lived on and went strong, but most non-skaters occupied their time with other things. But what remains from that bygone era are the memories that Tony Hawk's Pro Skater created. Activision doesn't milk the brand today because skateboards are flying off the shelves. They milk it because they know how good those first few games are, and that people cherish them dearly, regardless of whether they skate or not. So, here we are today, and you're watching a video about Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. Maybe you know everything there is to know, and you'd like to hear someone else's thoughts on the series. Maybe you'd like to learn a thing or two about the series you love. Or maybe you only have a vague picture of the series in your mind. Whatever the reason you find yourself watching this video today, I'm sure a few questions about the series come to mind. In this video, I aim to answer as many of them as I can, including why the first game was so good, and how its sequels managed to become some of the highest rated video games in history, how the series attempted to maintain its longevity and legacy, 
how the series fell from grace, how its memory was kept alive, and what impacts can be drawn from the name Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. I'm Liam Triforce, and I welcome you to join me as I exhaustively analyze the evolution of THPS in my Tony Hawk's Pro Skater retrospective. From its mechanical intuitiveness, to its level design and its progression and ideas and structure, I aim to discuss this series' impact as thoroughly as possible. Let's drop in. Neversoft was founded by Joel Jewett, Mick West, and Chris Ward in 1994. After releasing a few games that were relatively unsuccessful, the team found themselves in a difficult financial position just four years in. Thankfully, Activision swooped in and hired them to work on an action game called Apocalypse starring Bruce Willis. As the game was coming along nicely, Activision also had Neversoft develop a prototype for a skateboarding game, as they saw promise in the genre. At this point, skating games were few and far between. Games like 720, California Games, and Skate or Die had short-lived popularity in the 80s, but they weren't anything to write home about. While Neversoft were working on Apocalypse and conjuring up a prototype for their skateboarding game, they would take their lunch breaks at a nearby bowling alley. Coincidentally, Sega had just released their arcade game Top Skater, and the team initially drew heavy influence from it. The game took place across a large downhill racetrack, and you'd have to string tricks together and collect items in order to increase your time limit and get a high score. The only caveat was that you had to control your character on top of a physical skateboard. In Neversoft's game, something a bit more accessible needed to be put in place instead. On top of that, the team quickly realized that they didn't want to make a racing game like Top Skater. In early tests, players would spend about 60 seconds racing through the track that the team had laid out, and at the end of the track there was a little skate park to practice your tricks in. According to Neversoft senior designer Chris Rauch, people would spend a half hour just doing tricks in that little area. From that moment onward, they knew what they wanted to do. While all of this was going on, the Birdman himself was facing a rough patch in his career. Vert skating was losing relevance to street skating in the 90s, and in order to make ends meet, he took any opportunity that would present itself. He pushed himself to learn street skating, taking a few knocks in the process. He took up video editing gigs and worked on commercials and whatnot, most famously a TV spot for the TurboGrafx-16. Since his income was getting cut in half every month, he had no choice but to adapt and survive. Tony had been approached a few times in the past about creating a video game based on skateboarding, but none of the initial prototypes or pitches got very far. More than anything, he wanted something that would be easy to pick up and play, and something that would introduce skateboarding to an entirely new audience without being as difficult as the actual sport can be. When he got the call from Activision, I can't imagine he was expecting much. During that meeting, people recalled seeing Tony sink in his chair as he listened to executives talk about the potential market impact the game would have. But then, they let him play the game. And not long after he had started messing around with the controls, he knew that Neversoft had nailed it. Each of the four face buttons performed a different action. Ollie, flip tricks, grab tricks, and grinds. And if you push the D-pad or left analog stick in a direction while in the air, you could do a trick. Left, right, up, down, northwest, southeast, it's such a simple yet effective method of mapping tricks, but it's not the only thing delivering the fun. The game also had a remarkably responsive and satisfying physics engine. No matter where you start skating from, you can build up speed from ramps, rails, inclines, and keep it going as you blitz through different level elements and perform death-defying tricks. Your character will realistically and dynamically lose or gain speed depending on what terrain you decide to tackle. I'll elaborate more on this in just a bit because physics drives some of the best levels and some of the most enthralling moments in Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. Perhaps the most addictive element in this wonderful concoction, however, was the ability to string combos together. 
Let's say you do a flip trick onto a rail, grind for a bit, and do another flip trick out of it. By linking those tricks together, you've added to a score multiplier. In order to maximize the amount of points you get in a combo, you'll need to find ways to connect each of your tricks. This can mean jumping gaps into a grind, linking rails together, etc. Individual point values don't matter as much as the multiplier does, enabling you to see levels in an entirely different light, in the same manner a skateboarder sees the world around them as a skate park. And the game plays very well to that notion. It is perhaps the most engrossing element to the game's trick system, and doing all of this builds up your special meter. This enables you to input secret commands and pull off some signature moves. Combining a move with one of these tricks multiplies its already insane base value, and they usually aren't very easy to land, especially the rotational ones, but damn do they feel good to pull off. All of these factors drove an innovative gameplay loop that testers and skaters alike were in love with. Tony Hawk himself was sneaking out copies of the latest builds to his friends with modded PlayStations. In demos, people were competing to see who could get the highest scores. Something was working really well, but there was just one lingering problem. Tony Hawk's Pro Skater wasn't going to be an arcade game. It was a console game. They couldn't just focus on high scores and call it a day. Something more needed to be done. And in addition, with a limited budget, the uncertainty in releasing a skateboarding game during a rough patch for the sport, and skepticism among certain key players in the skate community, there was no guarantee that this game was going to be a hit. Something happened after Tony did the 900. Literally, Pier 30 shook, and we felt the ground swell. I wasn't sure if it was an earthquake or somebody out there doing something special. That moment was probably burned in most of our minds forever. On June 27, 1999, Tony Hawk landed the world's first 900. Two and a half mid-air rotations before landing on the ground and riding away. The trick set off a chain reaction that would echo around the world just in time for his video game to release that same year. The Birdman's career was far from over. He was in commercials, TV shows, and eventually, on a Pizza Hut demo disc. Despite appearing alongside Crash Team Racing and Final Fantasy VIII, you don't hear people talking about that demo disc because of those games. They remember that disc fondly because they could spend hours doing tricks without ever getting sick of it. A testament to the core gameplay Neversoft had in place. But as the game came out, a burning question would finally be answered. How would that gameplay be put into practice? I feel that Warehouse has gone down in history as one of the most iconic first levels in any video game period. It teaches you everything you need to know with just enough level elements to work with. From a corner, you can almost see the entire map, and yet there's so much you can extrapolate from your time here. After picking your skater and entering the level, you'll see a list of objectives on the loading screen. Get a high score or pro score, find the secret tape, collect the skate letters, and smash five boxes. You load in, and you've got two minutes to accomplish all of this. This time limit drives a lot of THPS's core design. Each objective will span the length of the level due to the exploration required. It's up to you to see how you can link each objective together, because if you try to balance too many at once, an objective might be left incomplete by the end of your run. Of course, you don't have to complete each objective in one run. You could, in theory, focus on completing just one goal, and then end your run and give the level another go, and your progress will be saved. But the more goals you can handle at once, the faster your playthrough will go. And you know what? The time limit itself is enough to impose challenge on any given goal, making it a subtle yet absolutely crucial part of the game. This system is just as addictive as linking combos together, and adds an unprecedented level of replayability to THPS. 
To this day, I don't think I've played another video game series that consistently makes going for the same objectives over and over again a fun process. This game managed to do it, and I love challenging myself. I love seeing how far I can push my knowledge of the game's systems and a level's layout. But how is this further put into practice in the level design of Tony Hawk's Pro Skater? Well, with Warehouse, every location in this level is a stone's throw away, but that doesn't mean it won't take time to meet the designated criteria. And if you've never played the game before, there's no way you'll grab everything in one clean shot. That's why the level is carefully crafted to organically inform the player of everything they'll be doing. You have the half-pipe in the center for practicing landing tricks, which is what most players will be immediately drawn towards. But you also have the secret tape above the half-pipe, the long rail in the center, the kicker gap, the quarter pipe with the skate letter and a stack of boxes on top, and the ramp on the back wall that is useful as a grind combo, and a method of getting both a stack of boxes and the hidden tape if you wall ride. You can also fast plan up there or gather enough speed and simply ollie into it. There's so much to experiment with, and it ties itself together. The level is laid out so that you can earn points as you collect what you need, and deliberating on how you're going to reach the secret tape or smash the stack of boxes in time will subconsciously accustom you to the game's physics engine. Your brain will take notice of how much speed you gain from going down that first incline, or coming down from a quarter pipe, or kick flipping off of a rail as you try to collect each of these goals in time. Warehouse teaches you so much with so little. Everything you need to know about this game is conveyed in such a small space. It establishes how your character will gain speed, and how you can use that to your advantage, as well as introducing you to the concept of forging a path for yourself in a level structured like a sandbox. In a single level, you'll realize that Tony Hawk's Pro Skater is unlike anything you've ever played, and it only gets better from here. School is an introduction to what the downhill skateboarding levels have become, as it features a semi-linear path with each piece towards an objective placed along that path. It also introduces the player to the concept of a line. Essentially, these are pieces of a level that are placed intentionally for the player to build a combo off of. They are the groundwork of THPS level design. Every level should have lines in which to build a combo from, or maintain one with. Warehouse had these as well, despite being a sandbox. You just had to look for them, which is a stepping stone on the walk to mastering this game. Finding lines and making your own. In school, some lines are actively encouraged, while others come organically when trying to do everything in one shot. Take a look at how the first three skate letters are aligned. With the S on that big rail down the stairs, it immediately builds up a significant amount of speed. From here, you can jump onto the next rail and continue your combo into the kicker, which launches you into your next letter and towards a new line with another letter on it. This rail is the catalyst for so many options in approaching this level. Just from using it, you can get closer to the score goals, and by the time you reach the end of that line, you're already almost done with the skate letters. But it isn't the only option, because while the school's layout is inherently linear, it's broken up into three distinct sandbox areas. Instead of focusing on speed and combos, I could branch off from this rail after grabbing the letters, collect some bonus points, and grind a few of the picnic tables in order to slowly work towards all of the goals at once. The level is finely tuned so that it gently nudges you towards completing objectives in a timely manner, as a means of foreshadowing an increase in challenge. Things aren't too difficult to find after you run through the level for a bit, but it can be challenging to do so across a long stretch, and under that time limit. That's why these lines across the school grounds are so significant. They further illustrate the importance of maintaining speed through combos and tricks, and yet again serve as an example of how Tony Hawk's Pro Skater is always pushing you to improve. The secret tape in this level is also important because it requires you to have finesse in landing on different terrain, much like that long railing does. And it is something that the game will test you on again and again from here on out. Let's take a look at the mall secret tape. 
This is probably one of the most infamous tapes in the whole game, but in hindsight, the hard part is figuring it out. There are a couple of angles to approach this tape from, up top or off the kicker on the right. Both require enough speed so that you can launch yourself far enough to land on the rail. While the path on the right is easier, I believe the most optimal path is the one up top. It's much harder to nail this path from the beginning, as you need to carefully maneuver yourself through this opening and maintain your speed afterwards, but exponentially more rewarding thanks to the bonus points, a directory to smash, a clean shot onto the rail below if you keep your momentum going, and above all else, personal satisfaction. A fine example of how skilled gameplay can benefit you. This is also where the layered downhill design of Maul becomes apparent. Once you reach the bottom, your run will end, regardless of how much time you have left. The mall is optimally completed in two runs, one for the skate letters, and another for the directories and secret tape. You could probably do it in one run with perseverance, but like school taught you, in order to get the most out of your lines and runs, you need to be moving fast. It's a brilliant demonstration of risk versus reward, and it illustrates the nuance in THPS's level design. For example, downhill might seem like a sprawling sandbox at first, but it runs in a circle, essentially being a bigger version of Warehouse. You have the hidden line along the wall that you're immediately drawn to thanks to the S floating up there, the rails down into the courtyard where you can then launch yourself into the K over the fountain, the signs on both sides and on the platform across the street, a few rails and kickers that can be taken advantage of for combos, as well as the theater district, and the path to the roof with the secret tape across a devastating gap that requires speed to conquer. Each collectible is positioned as a mark of mastery, much like the maps that came before it. While the signs sit in each location as you learn the lay of the land, the skate letters and secret tape serve as examples of the game testing you on concepts that you've learned. That E that floats precariously on a rail between the two buildings can be carefully dropped onto, but it saves way more time to practice and finally nail that shortcut up to it. Here's another reason I've run you through how these collectibles are positioned. These objectives aren't isolated from one another in any way. Sure, you may isolate these objectives from one another in order to focus on clearing a single one during a run, but each level is meticulously designed so that you can link them all together. There are connecting threads no matter the subject at hand, to the point where people can complete all of the goals in six minutes, although it takes diligence to get there. All of this sets the player up for one of the hardest levels in the game, one last bout with the downhill structure, aptly named Downhill Jam. This level is a grand test of everything, notably stringing tricks together and looking for pieces toward your objectives in a single downhill run. But it is especially a test of everything involving speed and momentum. Whereas Maul could mostly carry you to the end with an abundance of grinds to hit, Downhill Jam is a stream of challenging jumps, ramps, and gaps. A lot of your success is dependent on how well you can time your ollies, or build up and maintain speed, and position yourself correctly in spite of that speed. Whether it's going for the valves by shooting up off of the kickers and flying over Mountain Dew signs, zooming out of a quarter pipe and landing on a rail above you to nab the last letter you need, or launching yourself onto rails and across gaps in order to zip over to the secret tape. Downhill Jam is one of the most difficult levels in the game, but in turn, one of the most rewarding too. The essence of improvement is on full display here. Everything you need to do for each objective requires speed, finesse, and the general knowledge and ability to consistently be doing something with your board. This level is an all-encompassing example of the genius design of Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, a game that pushes you to be better, but also a game that makes the process of doing so emphatically rewarding. And its genius doesn't end there. Another thing I love about this game's focus on improvement is how the requirements for unlocking each level gradually increase. Each of these objectives grant you a tape, which are comparable to stars in Mario 64, 
You only need two tapes to unlock school, five to unlock the mall, and eight to unlock Chicago. However, like Mario 64, things get a bit more challenging as you proceed. Certain levels can only be unlocked by earning yourself a medal in a competition. You could view these as boss battles, essentially. They test your skills by having you vary your tricks and lines in order to get the highest score. This might also be where you first notice that you are punished for spamming the same trick over and over again. No matter the trick, whether it's a simple pop shove it or a kickflip McTwist, its point value will degrade the more you use it in a run. This means when trying to nab a gold medal in a competition stage, you'll have to use everything in the skate park to your advantage and keep trying different things. On top of that, you need to be bolder, riskier, and you can't bail because that'll hurt your score. It's a huge balancing act, but it's so much fun to have complete freedom to experiment and figure out what the game wants from you. While the everyday levels test your resourcefulness with the only pressure being a time limit that could cost you a run, you could fall down again and again trying to go for an objective and still get back up again without being punished. In the competition levels, that resourcefulness is amplified and required of you in a small space, with very little room for error. So what do you gotta do? You gotta get good at the game, just as always. And the game sets you up for that. In order to actually beat the game and watch the credits roll, you need at least 26 of the 30 tapes available for you to collect. That means you essentially need to master this game before you can wrap up. But because of how well the game establishes its feedback loop of stringing combos together while grabbing everything in sight at top speed, or finding ways to push the boundaries of what can be done in a single run based on what you've learned about the game, and how well it conditions you to that obsession with optimization while maintaining the freedom to explore and express yourself, yeah, it's, it's no wonder the urge to play the game over and over again sunk in. The game might be short, but its core gameplay is so good that one playthrough never feels like enough. To this day, I come back to this game just to see how fast I can beat it. I want to see if I can grab all those tapes in one shot against all odds. Because it can be done, even in the hardest levels. Sometimes, less is more. There truly wasn't anything else like this game, and only a few games since dared to rival its achievements in intuitiveness, addictiveness, challenge, reward, and replayability. It was immaculately crafted to bring out the best in its players simply because it was so goddamn fun to play. It is a beautiful game, one of the best I have ever played. It's so focused, it knows exactly what it wants to be. And it would only be topped by another one of the best games I've ever played. In less than a year, Neversoft managed to put out a sequel that went on to become one of the most acclaimed games of all time. They took their already beautiful gameplay loop and expanded on it in every possible way. Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2 was, and still is, masterful. Of course, there is a lot to unpack with a game this good. Let's start small and work our way up. New to Pro Skater 2 is the manual, which allows you to continue your combo across the ground as long as you can keep your balance. This means that you can now link elements of the map together without losing points. Say, for example, you'd like to hop off of a rail and move over to another part of the level to start a new line. Well, you can do that now while still maintaining your combo. This should go without saying, but this exponentially expands the opportunities for player ingenuity, creativity, and challenge. And designing levels around this move means bigger combos, more engaging layouts, and higher score challenges. Take New York, for example. From the start, you have that ledge to your left that you can wall ride up to, and if you turn wall in a manual, you can keep your combo going by hopping up on another ledge off the kicker or landing on a series of benches and rails below. 
The manual can help you catch your mistakes if you ever miss a rail or land in an unexpected place. If you have a degree of speed built up, you can steer yourself over to another part of the map and right your wrongs with a new line. The caveat to having something this helpful in your arsenal is that much like any other trick, its point value will degrade heavily as you continue to rely on it. This goes for the balance meter as well. If you do manuals repeatedly, you'll be punished for it, in the same way repeated grinds would punish you. But it's the perfect downside because it pushes you further in creating varied combos. Instead of having to hunt for the special trick inputs in the instruction manual or online, you can now unlock them with the cache you've collected and remap them all to your liking. This gives you unparalleled control over your combos. You may be able to customize a skater or a park in this game in considerable detail, although these features would be heavily expanded upon with each sequel. I feel that being able to customize your playstyle is perhaps the greatest addition. By having the ability to set up your special tricks, you can play around with the tricks that you feel suit your combos. Like for example, using the sack tap because you feel like its simplicity and low end point value will be worth it when paired with a multiplier. Or how about equipping the 900 because you're confident in your reaction time and judgment when traveling at high speeds. A lot of experimentation goes into this, but if you find the right tricks for you and use them properly, you can really rack up the points, which leads to nailing those high score goals and demolishing competition levels. Speaking of the levels, Pro Skater 2 pulls out all the stops. Let's start by talking about the progression system because it has been vastly expanded upon. First of all, there are now twice as many goals in each level, and rarely do they share common themes. They could ask you to do all sorts of different stuff on your board, going beyond simply collecting things and presenting new opportunities in level design, which we'll discuss in just a bit. Also, you unlock levels based on your total amount of accumulated cash, rather than being based on fulfilling a certain number of objectives. The more difficult a goal is to complete, the higher its cash reward will be. On top of that, cash can be found floating around the levels in precarious spots. These dollar bills push you to reach new areas based on the moves at your disposal, in the same way the secret tapes did in the first game. These bills egg you on all over the place, even coexisting with secret tapes, which are much harder to find in an attempt to balance the game and put the player's knowledge of the maps to the ultimate test. New York has you grind the subway rails first, before you can access a hidden area with a series of grinds that lead you toward the secret tape. Venice Beach has its tape positioned in such a difficult spot to reach, that you really have to look around and think about how you can shoot yourself up onto that line. Both the cache and secret tapes push you to find lines in secret areas by building up speed and utilizing the environment in unexpected ways. So overall, the cache system is an incredibly liberating and accessible way to expand upon the progression system from the first game. And as one of the cache rewards in each level requires you to find all of the cache and complete every objective, Pro Skater 2 makes it apparent just how important mastering this game can be. But what is also apparent to anyone that decides to play this game is just how fun and rewarding it is. Hangar is essentially warehouse on steroids, and while a level like that would actually end up existing later down the line, I feel as though this is still an accurate comparison. Much like warehouse, almost the entire map can be observed from a corner, but this time they stuffed as many goals as they could into it. The map is straightforward, being shaped in an oval with its best lines taking place across and around the flat ground, with quarter pipes along the edges for reliable speed buildup. But it's what they do in this limited space that matters. Right out of the gate, you have the half pipe and its immediate surroundings that you can hit up in order to work on a few goals and grabs of cash. It is a playground for learning tricks, linking together combos, and chaining pieces of goals together. There is never a dull moment. 
You also have elements that test you on your innate resourcefulness, like the pilot wing that requires a grind, which unlocks a secret area and rewards you with cash, and clues you into the other secret area on the opposite side of the map. The skate letters invite you to learn the core mechanics of THPS through grinds, QP transfers, and fast-moving ollies. Hangar puts a lot of information on the table, but its focused and densely packed design immediately conditions the player to the impact combos and handling multiple goals at once can have on your playthrough. The next level, School 2, introduces an alternative approach to your runs. Separating specific, lengthy goals into individual runs based on the path you take. It is a combination of both downhill and sandbox level designs in the best possible ways. From the very beginning, there are four routes for you to take. There are two rails, introducing you to either the hall pass goal or the skate letters and how you can follow them. There's also the first roll call rail, which brings you out into the courtyard in the same way. But then there's also the awning above you, which leads to a bunch of cash across the rooftops. To get up there, we have what is perhaps one of the smartest tutorials I've seen in a video game. One of your goals in this level is to wall ride all of the bells around the school. Not only does this establish what the wall ride is to begin with, it also shows you how wallies can benefit you in exploring the level or just simply getting up on something that's bigger than you. If you wally correctly after hitting that bell, you can land on the awning, and from here you can either go for the cash or jump down onto the hall pass rail and continue a massive combo from there with your newfound speed. It seems like a small nuance to the level, but moments like these are what make learning how to play and eventually mastering THPS so beautiful. In New York, a subway token sitting above a streetlight is a sign that you might need to investigate your immediate surroundings for ways to build speed and jump up to it. In Venice Beach, a spray paint can sits between two quarter pipes, asking to be collected via a QP transfer, introducing you to the concept of transfers altogether and challenging you to land the four Venice Beach transfers. In Philadelphia, one of the goals asks you to drain the fountain in the town square. Reaching the valves might seem impossible until you realize that you can gather enough speed to rocket up there through a line at the start of the level. If you manage to combo the full thing and boneless off of the ramp surface at the end, you should clear the rail and drain it. But from here, you can also skillfully time a wally to grind a power line toward... Ta-da! The secret tape. What I'm trying to illustrate with all of these examples is how gracefully Pro Skater 2 dares the player to experiment, how it rewards them for doing so, and how all of these goals I've discussed connect themselves to each other. There are so many examples of this kind of flow that, to be honest, I'd be here all day if I were to lay them all out. School 2 is intentionally designed like this, with the entire recess area being quite literally a playground for experimentation in linking collectibles together. The hall passes, bells, and skate letters are perfectly positioned for you to discover lines and invent your own as you travel in that magical loop. In Philly, you could grind through the skate letters in order to knock over a post and reveal the FDR skate park, a place in which to rack up points, collect cash, and lip trick the bowls for one of your objectives. I know I might sound like a broken record, but there are a seemingly infinite number of possibilities for routes in your runs. These opportunities are plentiful thanks to the expanded goal roster and fleshed out level design, and they are what make Pro Skater 2 the game that it is. It isn't just about combos and high scoring tricks. It isn't just about the individual goals. It isn't just about the discovery. It isn't just about the challenge that the time limit can invoke. It's about how all of these elements can be linked together. You have all of the tools at your disposal, and the game is constantly giving you ways in which to use these tools. Pro Skater 2's seamless and intelligent design allows you to create combos from anywhere and build efficiency in your runs thanks to interconnected goal paths and its phenomenal level design. 
Other improvements, such as the ability to non-linearly upgrade your stats through cash, or more challenging yet inviting and intuitive competition levels with more satisfying lines, are just the icing on the delicious red velvet cake that is Pro Skater 2. And even if I don't like certain aspects of this game, like the disconnect between certain lengthy or confusing goals in Venice Beach, or going for some of the trickier bills strewn about in levels, I'd do it all over again. And I do. Because I get to play as Spider-Man when all is said and done. Nothing beats the exhilaration I feel when I combo the length of a level, grab all the cash and collectibles, all in a single run. Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2 is an impeccable game. One that I don't think anyone felt could be topped back when it came out and broke critical and commercial ground. And yet, in my honest opinion, they did. Neversoft's third entry in the Pro Skater series, to me, was as close to perfect as a video game can get. With the arrival of the sixth generation of consoles, Neversoft blessed us with Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 3 a game that is likely in my top 10 favorite video games ever. Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2 are some of the best games I have ever played, and yet the team was far from throwing in the towel. Aside from the jump to 60 frames per second on next-gen consoles, and a new engine specifically designed for fast-paced physics, Pro Skater 3 does everything it can to further perfect the already established formula. Let's start by looking at Pro Skater 3's claim to fame, the revert. In previous games, landing in a quarter pipe would end your combo. Now obviously previous levels were designed with this in mind. Pro Skater 1 was about creating a series of miniature combos that added up through connected level design elements. Pro Skater 2 was where the concept of a giant combo came to be, thanks to manuals giving you significant freedom. However, levels had to compensate for QP's ending combos by focusing on rails, flat ground tricks, and places to get big air. But as soon as you touch the ground, it's over. The timer knows it too, since you can continue your combo after it runs out to finish off some goals. As such, I tended to gravitate away from quarter pipes to keep getting my numbers as big as possible. As soon as I felt I was ready to end my combo, I would perform a big trick and land in the QP. It's a decent enough strategy, and this kind of thinking still contributes to Pro Skater 2's brilliant design. But what if you were to patch up that last hole in combo creation? What if you could land in a quarter pipe and keep your combo going from there? Well, that's exactly what the revert does. You hit the button as soon as you land, and you'll perform a revert. You can then link that with any other trick, usually a manual, to keep on going. And although you can't revert over and over and over again in a combo and expect to have the same amount of speed, if you have truly mastered a level and know how to build up or otherwise maintain your speed, you can hypothetically perform a combo that lasts forever. And I do mean forever. You can combo off of anything and everything. It takes a tremendous amount of diligence to get to this point, but the game really wants you to get there. It expects you to get there. By the time you reach Los Angeles, the highest score goal is 400,000, nearly doubling the highest score goal in Pro Skater 2. Despite its simplicity, the revert adds an entire layer of complexity and creativity to comboing in THPS. The world is your playground. Although the cash system didn't make a return from Pro Skater 2, it didn't necessarily need to. No longer are things like the rafters and hangar optional lines for you to hit as a mark of mastery. In Pro Skater 3, the entire level is utilized in some way. Aside from a few secret areas, every inch of every level plays a part in completing a goal, creating arguably the most succinct and incredible career mode in the entire series. Like the remarkable first levels of previous installments, Foundry is every bit as enthralling and informative. It goes in a circle, 
but it is layered with a series of grinds above, a jump for the secret tape, and stat points placed as a test of knowledge of your trick pool and the physics engine. The goals run across its walls and floors and drive efficiency home. It establishes a focus on attaining that perfect 100% run in one shot. Canada has a much wider layout and the sheer variety in its trick locations blow me away. You have the main parking lot with rails into quarter pipes, the skate park that takes advantage of your entire moveset, the high rise and makeshift bowl in the forest area, and the boardwalk down to the pair of quarter pipes that you can move in order to reach the secret tape. There are goals that span the entire length of these areas, like the skaters that you can impress around the skate park. If you manage to combo in front of all five of them and land it, it will count them all. You can get Chuck unstuck during a line and continue onward into the skate ladders in secret tape. Suburbia, despite its small size, manages to be a tricky level for stringing together all the goals in a single run. And yet, when you get a feel for the level design, it becomes apparent that you can string together the pumpkins, skate letters, trailer gap, thin man, and secret tape goals in a single lap around the level. The three levels after this are a special breed of awesome though. They are perhaps the most poignant examples of how Pro Skater 3 doesn't leave its toughest lines up to choice. In Los Angeles, the secret tape sits at the absolute peak of the level, and while there's a multitude of ways to approach this thing, it represents the pinnacle of Pro Skater 3's level design. Whether you approach it from the fire truck ladder in a long combo, or the high rise next to it, you are asking a lot of yourself and your run. Just trying to figure out how to reach the damn thing is a journey, but once you do it, you'll quite literally feel like you're on top of the world. This is just one moment. I haven't mentioned the combo potential that stems from things like hitting the quake rails into the photo op goal and the skate letters around the building. Although it doesn't seem like it should be possible, thanks to Pro Skater 3's refined trick system and physics, you can grab all this stuff, loop back around to where you started, and hit up anything you missed out on in one giant combo. LA is a pretty stellar level. Cruise ship though? Whew, what a level. You've got a triple-decker level designed for seamless combos and goals that run around its entire length that you can hit in said combos. It isn't easy to nail down runs of this level, but because the game sets you up for this time and time again, I feel that it is an expertly constructed level for astute players and is a perfect demonstration of exactly what Pro Skater 3 is so goddamn amazing at. But even these two don't compare to my favorite level in the career mode, Airport which is also arguably the best downhill level in the series. To your left, you'll have the tickets that you need to deliver to your buddies at the bottom of the airport. On your way down, you'll have to stop the pickpockets, do a trick at baggage claim, collect the skate letters, grab the secret tape, and tear down all the flags. The level is structured in such a way that you could do all of this almost entirely in one combo, thanks to its overwhelming amount of grind opportunities, alternate routes, manual spots, jumps, and vert ramps. Even if you choose to isolate certain goals in a separate run, the combo potential is earth-shattering. I found myself completely enveloped in the addictive flow of the level, the position of each grind, the places in which to gain speed. If you've ever wanted to introduce THPS to someone, show them this level. Show them the combos you can pull off thanks to the ingenious level design. Show them how the speed you can accumulate from your combos can benefit a run. Show them the wealth of things you can accomplish within a two-minute time limit when you've developed enough skill. Show them what this game is all about. You would think that levels requiring such a high level of mastery would make this game one of the least accessible entries in the series, but to me it has the opposite effect. With even the toughest spots being utilized in goals, you will never stop short. You're gonna learn how to play this game, and you're gonna get really good at it, because you're gonna have a lot of fun trying. I promise. 
This philosophy has been with Pro Skater since its inception, and it finally apexed with this game. With the ability to combo perpetually, Pro Skater 3's mechanics evoke previously unseen levels of obsession, and the game's levels are just wave after wave of pure design and mechanical expertise. The whole game is a blast of unadulterated genius. Even after every unlockable character and level, after each and every career mode playthrough, I could still spend hours trying to beat my best combo in Airport. The sheer breadth of its level design, the finesse in its mechanics, and the perfection of the series' addictive loop have come together in one of the finest video games ever crafted. I know that to those uninitiated in this series, showering endless praise upon this game might seem like the most absurd thing. But trust me, games that are this pure and focused on fun and replayability don't come around very often. Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 3 will forever remain one of my favorite games of all time. It fits my definition of a perfect video game. And wouldn't you believe it? Couldn't you believe it? It gets even better. Pro Skater 3 was the first PlayStation 2 game to have online multiplayer, even launching prior to the release of Sony's network adapter. Multiplayer has always been a strong part of Pro Skater ever since the very beginning. After pushing your skills and THPS to the limit, it's always been a fun treat to try and beat each other's high scores, or tag the most objects in graffiti with long combos. But the multiplayer mode was ripe for expansion. Pro Skater 3 enabled up to four players on PS2 to connect to each other from around the world, and PC lobbies could support up to eight. So not only could you compete with the best of the best over the internet and learn combos and techniques for bettering your runs by spectating them, you could also play modes that allow you to view levels in an entirely new and fascinating light. Neversoft, being the mad lads and lasses that they are, put Capture the Flag in Pro Skater 3. A mode commonly associated with Quake was put in a skateboarding game. And it's awesome. This transforms Airport into a challenging stretch of combo mayhem in which you have to either climb or descend fast enough to capture or otherwise stop the flag. There was also the mode Control Zones, which had you finding keys and unlocking zones for your team to control in a mode not dissimilar to something like Domination. These modes unearthed hidden potential in all of these maps for strategy, skill, and general game flow. Unfortunately, these servers can only be played today through either Xlink Kai on consoles or OpenSpy on PC, and they are almost entirely dead nowadays. However, the multiplayer of Pro Skater 3 fostered a dedicated community of people that would hop on every subsequent Tony Hawk game as they came out and their mechanics evolved. They'd compete, share knowledge, and most importantly, create bonds. Obviously, an undying passion for Pro Skater exists outside of these multiplayer lobbies. However, the dedication to understanding every little nuance in this game's mechanical brilliance was fostered in these online lobbies. Although I had a limited amount of experience with the online multiplayer when it was in its prime, I don't think I'll ever forget how much fun I had with it, or the things I learned watching pros mop the floor with me. I remember the exhilaration I felt when I desperately tried to string a fast combo away from someone chasing me for their flag. Even something as simple as playing slap with a full lobby of people on Suburbia felt like high-class gaming. Because the core gameplay of Tony Hawk's Pro Skater is timeless. It's endlessly addictive. It's something that I can't get enough of, and it's something that I can't get anywhere else. Its competitors and even its siblings under the Activision name tried to replicate the formula, and some of them succeeded, but none of them succeeded on the level that Pro Skater did. And I'm sure with this level of perfection they managed to achieve in Pro Skater 3, Neversoft saw finality in this formula. Anything that would follow the same 2 minute time limit career mode format just wouldn't live up to how meticulous they were with Pro Skater 3. 
In an effort to inject longevity into the series, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 4 would completely overhaul the career mode structure. The two minute time limit was given the axe, and objectives would instead be accepted from characters situated all around levels. Now, the ramifications of this decision would eventually make themselves apparent in future games, but it only caused mild disappointment in me when I first played Pro Skater 4. To me, removing the time limit removes urgency. It removes one of the core elements of Pro Skater that drove players to improve their runs, to become more efficient in doing things within the time that they've been given. But Pro Skater 4 gracefully dances around the problems that arise from this shift by being both an accessible entry point for new players and a brutal challenge for experienced ones. Here's why, in the context of Pro Skater 4, this structure works. It still maintains some sense of urgency thanks to each individual mission having a timer, but it also integrates teaching tools into its goals and establishes recurring themes that allow the player to practice through the length of the career mode. Goals where you chase things, goals where you land the tricks people call out, goals where you collect things across the map, competitive goals, the works. And sometimes you're going for these goals while in a combo, even as early as the first level. They are all goals that exist solely because of this new structure, and these thematic elements that you're seeing and that I've mentioned continue to be fleshed out as the game progresses. Sure, the skate letters might have a hint of challenge in college, but by the time you reach London, the shit they ask you to perform in order to string a line together and grab these things can be crushingly difficult, but rewarding all the same. These skate letter goals, as well as goals that ask you to grab collectibles in a single run, inform you of lines you may not have otherwise noticed in the level, and further illustrate what can be done. Getting on top of rooftops, grinding around the hippo exhibit in a zoo, grabbing all the pink elephants in one run, even in the hardest levels, they manage to teach you something, just like in previous games. Every concept has a follow-up. While learning to sketch might feel inconsequential for a while, Alcatraz has two goals where flying out of a sketch is beneficial. At first, it's just to knock Ranger Bob off a ledge or something, but then you have to launch yourself off of ramps to see how much height and distance you can get. Nailing tricks that spectators call out might seem rudimentary at first. Once you get to the zoo, you'll be doing every trick in the book, including lip tricks, double tap tricks, and more. Even if the game feels like it's treating you like a baby when you learn how to spine transfer, learning how helpful it can be is super important, and it eventually bridges into some awesome goals. The spine transfer isn't just for switching to adjacent spines, it can also save you if you fly out of a quarter pipe and realize that you're about to eat dirt. Hit the revert button and you'll straighten yourself out. Now how is this move used in goals? Well, as early as college, you'll be asked to hit a certain number of float gaps during a parade. By transferring between each goal and jumping over to another float with accuracy, you can demolish this goal. And later in Shipyard, you'll be asked to play a game of graffiti with shipping containers by spine transferring or otherwise tricking off of them all. It's such a wild concept for a goal, but it proves that Neversoft still hadn't run out of steam, despite Tony Hawk becoming an annualized franchise by this point. You'll also have increasingly difficult combo challenges, stricter competition goals, as well as oddball goals that don't necessarily follow established themes, but manage to teach you a thing or two anyways, like goals that introduce level elements to you and inform you of new ways to diversify your lines, goals that test your acclimation to the speed and reactionary nature of the game, chase sequences that encourage you to combo around to get to where you need to go, and so much more. Dynamic objectives and scripted events within goals weren't possible at this scale in previous games, and they give Pro Skater 4 its own identity. Thanks to the lenient progression system, you can unlock every level in this game without having to bust your ass over the toughest goals. However, the cash system is back, and there's a reason. While a certain number of goals cleared in each level will unlock the next, cash can unlock two secret levels and four secret characters. 
I'll always cherish the surprise and sense of accomplishment for achieving 100% in the previous games. In Pro Skater 2, as I mentioned, you get the Web Slinger himself. In Pro Skater 3, each 100% run with each skater will unlock something. Darth Maul, Wolverine, the Warehouse level, the Neversoft Eyeball, Kelly Slater. It was actively encouraging repeat playthroughs. Due to the length of Pro Skater 4's career mode with just a single skater, the cash system makes sense. You can go for whichever goals you feel comfortable with, look for cash in levels, and just have a good time. But remember, like Pro Skater 2, the harder goals and tougher builds turn the biggest profit. Some of these goals can feel pretty pointless and pathetic as you proceed, and occasionally they can be an awkward difficulty spike, like when they ask you to misty flip over this hut. I think I spend a half hour on this damn goal every time I play. But the toughest goals benefit you the most not only with a tangible reward, but also with an increase in your own skill set. Here are a couple of my favorite examples of what I consider the ultimate goals in Pro Skater 4. First off, Alcatraz is like a skinnier and taller version of Cruise Ship, with warp points all around to continue your combos, sketchy lines that travel over water, and a focus on pushing non-linear combo creation. With that said, it's no wonder the ultimate challenge on this level would be to trick around every inch of the level while collecting items. You have two minutes to follow the line of collectibles and escape from Alcatraz. It is a game of speed, fast reflexes, level knowledge, and combo skill. The entire level becomes your playground, and it forces you to put everything you've learned to the test. Shipyard, with its complex lines around its length and height, also tests you in the same manner, and it's even the location for your Custom Skaters Pro Challenge, in which you have to set off all the detonators in a single combo for a movie shoot. Pro Skater 4 consistently sets you up for challenges like this, and it actively demonstrates how helpful combos can be in every aspect of a Tony Hawk game. And when all is said and done, you get to cash out and play around with the bonus content. Carnival is one of my favorite levels in a Tony Hawk game solely because of how brilliantly it accustoms the player to high-speed rail switching and line improvisation. It may just be a circle around a few rides, but it's small, focused, and packs a lot of personality. Also, Django Fett felt like the endgame of THPS gameplay. He has a special move that shoots you 20 to 30 feet into the air, allowing you to gain speed almost anywhere. I tend to abuse this line here in San Francisco. It's so easy to correct yourself if you miss a grind, and you can reset your momentum in a combo with your jetpack. Probably one of the most infamous lines in the series, but for good reason. Pro Skater 4's shift in structure may have caused storm clouds to gather in the face of the series' future, and it might not be a perfect game, but it does so much with this shift that I find it impossible to pin the blame on this game specifically. It's challenging, it's creative, the levels are detailed, and it reminds me of why I fell in love with the series in the first place. I can still easily recommend this game to anyone wanting to get into THPS, and I'd argue that it just might be more accessible than previous games, despite how challenging it can be. Nothing can ever truly replace the focus design of old, and while I may miss it dearly, at this point in the series, I was welcoming of change. Pro Skater 4 was a fantastic game, and I was eager to see what came next. Music power. Tony Hawk's Underground wanted to focus on the theme of individuality, a trait that I often attribute to skateboarding as an art form. In many ways, the game is about the skateboarding journey, and how different people interpret the sport. Sure, the writing is really hokey and occasionally juvenile, I'll give you that. But at its core, the game's message is built from the true experiences that pro skaters had with the sport, and a lot of that feeds into the game's beautiful progression and ideas. Let's start by looking at the game's fantastic first level, New Jersey. Not many layers to it, what you see is what you get. 
It is designed to feel like home. You're supposed to know these streets like the back of your hand. But it also provides you with plenty of ways to improvise during a combo thanks to its rails, manual opportunities, and the intermittent vert ramps for changing up combos. Memorization and mastery of these lines will eventually pay tremendous dividends, foreshadowing both the hardest goals in the game, as well as a certain finale that we'll talk about later. New Jersey's goals teach you mechanics without feeling like overt tutorials. Trick attack, competitions, spine transferring rooftops, there aren't too many of them, and before you know it, the game is moving along. Learning special tricks is also more fun and thug compared to Pro Skater 4, due to how they utilize level design. When you learn the special grind in Manhattan, you'll have to grind a long rail from the dock to the Brooklyn Banks. When you learn the Yeah Right manual in Tampa, you have to manual an entire walkway, which is much harder than it looks. These moments existed in Pro Skater 4, don't get me wrong, but they are way more refined here. Speaking of level design, Underground features some of the most detailed levels in Pro Skater history. Part of that comes from the fact that Neversoft designers traveled to each location featured in the game for inspiration, but part of that also comes from the designers really hitting their stride in terms of constructing lines. They each foster their own identity through unique opportunities for comboing. Manhattan, San Diego, and Moscow are all THPS level design perfection. With their multitude of grinds at different altitudes, QPs placed conveniently across corners of the map for a variety in your lines, and opportunities for speed all over the place. San Diego has QPs to acid drop into, allowing you to blitz across the level's plethora of lines, and its three central areas all offer something different. Moscow has a series of spine transfers to hit in the center, and after hopping out of them, you'll meet a diverse line that spans a huge chunk of the map, one of my favorite lines in the series. And once you come back around, you can drop into the spines and do it all again. Hawaii is deceptively brilliant, with the tall buildings, bowls, and transfers around the map contributing to your potential speed. Neversoft really killed it here, and the quality of these levels is amplified by a mechanic that completely changed the way you can interact with levels. By pressing a button, you can hop on or off of your board. Some goals in the career mode want you to use your newfound ability to climb buildings and start your combo from way up high. And I'll agree that it does give the player an unparalleled sense of freedom when exploring levels and finding ways to start combos, but that's not the only reason I love it so dearly. If you get off of your board during a combo, a timer will start ticking down. Any time you lose off of your board will not be replenished until your combo ends. But getting off of your board will also add to the multiplier. So no matter what you do, if you make a mistake or want to switch lines, you can do that now while giving yourself a little jump start in the process. You can also use this mechanic to pivot in mid-air and switch rails with unparalleled accuracy. It is by far one of the coolest mechanics in the entire franchise and was undoubtedly the end game for instilling creativity in combos. Nothing the series would add past this point would come close to touching this mechanic. Every single level in Tony Hawk history benefits from having this mechanic. Using it correctly can really help you maintain those infinite combos as you fly around levels on your board. You can focus on your lines, right your wrongs, improvise like you're performing jazz. It's so good. As you can probably tell from what I've said and what you're seeing, Underground generally moves at a faster pace than Pro Skater 4, which is a very good thing. When you complete a goal, you can keep skating from there thanks to a seamless transition. The goals share common themes and progress swimmingly, even if some of the concepts are getting a bit stale by this point in the series. And the driving goals are kinda terrible, not sure why they're in the game, but the rest of it flows just as well, if not better than Pro Skater 4. It comes to a head toward the end of the game, as your rivalry with Eric Sparrow boils over. Yeah, get it? Sparrow? Because Hawk? Bird? Yeah. 
Everything the game has been teaching you culminates in shooting a collaborative soul skating video with pros, as you try to accurately reflect the heart of skateboarding. Stacy Peralta was actually Tony Hawk's mentor in real life, and his advice ended up nudging him in the right direction for his career. And in spite of the self-parody that he's demonstrating here, his philosophy on skateboarding is one all of the pros featured in this game share. Shooting the video means tackling a handful of goals that represent the apex of each established concept. I talk about how fun it is to combo around the levels in Tony Hawk's Underground, but I'm telling you, the only reason I'm able to do this is because of the diligence these challenges taught me. Up until this point, the game fills you in on bits and pieces of each level, inching ever closer towards complete mastery. But shooting this video means you're about to put your skills to the ultimate test. In Manhattan, you have to hit every spot around the city within the time limit. Combos and resourcefulness will carry you through to the end. In Tampa, you have to incrementally stop using certain moves introduced across the series' history. No reverts, then no reverts or manuals. It's an elegant way to cap off the game. And to come full circle, you and Eric have one last competition for old time's sake. You have to hit all of the spots and keep up with Eric as he leaves trails of fire and takes to the skies with lines that were previously never communicated to you. But based on everything you've learned, it should be no problem to eventually crush him. It's so satisfying to combo around New Jersey and finally put Eric in his place. Tony Hawk's Underground, like Pro Skater 4, may not be that perfect game, but what's most important about it is that it feels focused. Its goals may retread similar concepts to Pro Skater 4, but Underground trims the fat and fleshes out concepts thoroughly over the duration of your playthrough. With the exception of the out-of-place driving or on-foot segments, it rarely tries to put a wedge between you and your growth as a skater. Even the stat point system has been completely overhauled to accommodate for this revised focus. While you can check the stat criteria at any time from the pause menu, your stats will increase based on things that you do corresponding to your current rank. Long grinds and manuals, high combos, big air, you name it. It can all be accomplished either by going for goals, or just skating around for fun. It's so convenient and it feels great. Tony Hawk's Underground is a short burst of some of the best content to come from the new structure Pro Skater 4 introduced. This is yet another game in the series that I found myself getting completely sucked into. Beating my best combos in free skate, making my own goals for my friends to challenge themselves to, exploring the story mode levels for the unlockable stages from Pro Skater 2. Much like the first four games, I had a hard time putting it down. It's a great game. But I think its sequel may have mishandled a few things. Now I want to preface my critique of this game with something super important. After all was said and done, I can honestly say that I enjoyed my time with Tony Hawk's Underground 2. I know for a fact that this game is beloved by some of you watching this. And I get it, okay? I, I understand. But I'm also very confident in saying that it represented a turning point in the franchise. It is a game that would eventually steer the series off course, and any further attempts to reclaim that focus in future installments would be in vain. First, let's talk about the story and overall tone. Tony Hawk and the Jackass crew have occasionally collaborated in the past, and to this day he's still friends with Steve-O at the very least. But did I ever really want these two things to cross paths? I'm not exactly sure. The game strings together an infantile narrative across an underground skating event called the World Destruction Tour. Eric Sparrow pisses his pants, there's a foul-mouthed kid in a wheelchair, Steve-O is riding a mechanical bull, Jesse James is... there and both of their vehicles control pretty awkwardly, which is kind of a huge deal breaker in a game known for having fluent and responsive controls. 
Bam's dad gets pranked epic style. There's loogies, there's toilet humor, there's nut shots, there's extremely immature dialogue, even for jackass, and there's a scene where a porta potty ramps into the ocean because that's what the kids want to see, right? The writing is soaked in that early 2000s tone. It's like Viva La Bam on Coke. And while that may be some people's cup of tea, I feel as though it goes against the honorable roots the Pro Skater series established for itself. And I'm even including Underground 1 in that camp. They were all about skateboarding. And even if Thug 1 got a little wild and childish on occasion, it was all still coming from a place of respect, with input from the pros themselves. Thug 2 felt like an attempt to capitalize on early to mid 2000s pop culture, feeling more like a jackass game featuring Tony Hawk than vice versa. Now, I can forgive a ridiculous story like the one in Thug 2, but when it dilutes the game's focus, that's when you've gone too far. Why should I have to control Jesse James or Steve-O for certain goals? The main game is all about the skating, so why are there goals that force you to control characters that strip away your moveset? It's strange, and I would forgive this decision if they weren't absolutely crucial to progression. Finding these characters unearths a handful of new goals, and you have to control the character in order to clear most of the goals from their pool. I would say to skip them, but the truth is you can. You need at least half of the goal points in a level in order to proceed to the next. And because these goals end up being so valuable, you'll eventually need to force yourself to play as them, especially if you find some of the traditional skate goals too difficult, which is likely. There aren't any moments like in Pro Skater 2 where a bell on a wall teaches you to wall ride, and informs you of lines that you can take. When the game starts, you're suddenly situated in the middle of Boston or Barcelona, and you're expected to be able to find everything. I guess this isn't really much of a problem though. It doesn't matter how much they communicate because you can go about solving goals however you like. As long as you can get the points, you can move on. Rarely is there overt encouragement from the game for combos, aside from the goals that mandate them. Now this would be a dangerous way to proceed with designing the game, but because there isn't anything at stake, it doesn't really matter if you suck. Without a time limit, any urgency that drove improvement is gone. Occasionally they throw a time limit in there, but again, that contributes to the game's lack of focus. The goals themselves would have to be the saving grace, and they're fine I guess, but most of the stuff you do has already been done in previous Tony Hawk games, aside from the extravagant set pieces at the end of each level. We've seen this lack of originality or innovation in goal design creep in as the series progressed, and it would eventually become fatal as franchise fatigue began to set in. This isn't directly a fault of Thug 2, but it is a problem that was exacerbated with the annualized sequels. By the time I was finished with the career mode, I was exhausted. I had already gone through these motions five times in better games. This unfortunately extends to the classic mode, although I really appreciate its inclusion. The classic mode reverts back to the two-minute time limit goal-based progression of the first three games, and in most cases, they really make the levels shine. Skatopia was already a pretty great level, and while some of the goals don't flow very well in classic mode, it sure as hell introduces urgency and speed into a level that is essentially a spiraling and condensed downhill jam with awesome set pieces. Australia's secret tape asked me to wall plant and grind up the fire escape and across a high rise, and then I could come back around to grind the lampposts or acid drop into the bowl below for a ton of speed. Because Australia was such a compact level in the career mode, classic mode fits it like a glove. However, massive levels like New Orleans and Berlin fare a bit worse, as the goals are spread really thin with dead space filling your runs. There are also a handful of remade levels in the classic mode, which were pretty fun to skate around in with the new mechanics, but also bring to light how haphazardly thrown together some of the goals can be. In every single level, including the classic ones, there will always be a goal where you have to collect something, or grind a series of objects, or smash into some objects, or whatever. There aren't any scripted or dynamic goals, they're all pretty much the same. 
Obviously, to compensate for your new moves, all of the goals from the classic levels had to be redesigned. But as a result, they lose most of the charm and focus design they used to have. That is, except for the redesigned warehouse. I think I spent an hour just skating the line on the ceiling, even as my run was still incomplete. I had so much fun improvising and wall planting as I tried to grind all of the valves on top. This has to be some of the most fun I've ever had with a Tony Hawk game, which I did not expect from this game at all. Even if the classic mode is thrown together, and despite what I've said already about how the new levels fit into it, there were times where the refined skating mechanics and the way this structure brings out the best in Thug 2's new levels completely blew me away. Flying around Barcelona with something at stake actually felt gratifying, whereas in the career mode it was just for spectacle's sake. Nailing runs in Boston allowed me to actually sharpen my combo skills, which the level was always built for, but you never really had that opportunity in the career mode. As you can no doubt tell, I have mixed feelings on this game. On one hand, the game is content rich and has a lot to offer, but on the other hand, its content is ripe with flaws that needed ironing out. If the series hadn't been annualized or forced to cash in on marketable trends, perhaps a true sequel to Underground would have been something to behold. But as it stands, the lack of originality in its goals, the desperate lack of urgency or educational tools in its design, undercooked ideas, and general lack of focus would end up signaling the downfall of the franchise. Thug 2 obviously wasn't a bad game by any means, but it wouldn't prevent the franchise from running out of steam as it entered its downward spiral. Neversoft's days with this franchise would be numbered from here. In 2005, they put out Tony Hawk's American Wasteland. It would be the last game of theirs to use the Renderware engine, and they did everything they could to make skating around Los Angeles feel great in this game. American Wasteland was marketed as an open-world game, and while it is true that you can run a combo throughout the entire length of LA, portions of the city were connected by bland tunnels with a few rails to grind while the game would load. It was also a pretty darn easy game. The first two hours or so feel like a tutorial, deliberately teaching you mechanics bit by bit for an agonizing amount of time, rather than subtly integrating tutorials into the level like in previous games. And goals after that were still pretty standard stuff. They do illustrate how you can string together combos across LA, as they are baked into the open world, but only much later in the story mode do goals actually require you to make use of developed skills without trying to teach you something, and even then it's nothing new to the series. You can do goals on the side to increase your cash, but they didn't break new ground either. Just do a few tricks, hit a line, or rack up some points in a combo. Really, the fun of this game lies in its skating and biking controls. The classic mode returned, but it still faced the same problems with its goals as Thug 2. It was refreshing to have original levels to skate in throughout the duration of this mode, but there wasn't anything that we hadn't already seen before, aside from levels like Kyoto. I know a lot of people love this game, perhaps due in large part to nostalgia, but I'm sorry, I really don't think this game had enough going for it. Yeah, the skating feels great. Yeah, the levels are awesome. Yeah, it's pretty cool to gradually build up the skate ranch with different parts. But for the seventh game in the series, I don't feel like it did enough to stop the inevitable decline. American Wasteland suffered from a huge lack of consequence or urgency in most areas, aside from competitions or skate runs, and it has a huge problem with hand-holy goal design throughout most of its runtime. The last truly great Tony Hawk game to be made by Neversoft, in my opinion, is Tony Hawk's Project 8 on the PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360. The new engine will take some getting used to. It's not nearly as floaty, it's grounded and heavy. But once you get the hang of the new physics and observe the reworked animations, you just might find a pretty cool game. While it actually does have a streaming city to skate in this time without needing to mask loading screens, the most striking design changes lie in its goal progression. Everything you do in this game, 
whether you go for timed goals, find secret spots, or skate challenge lines without falling out of your combo. Everything you do contributes to your overall progression. You start the game in 200th place, and you have to work your way up to the top 8. Getting better rankings and goals, doing pro challenges, just about anything will contribute to this in a non-linear fashion. It's so awesome to be able to progress based on where my most refined skills lie. If I was good enough, I could focus on fulfilling all of the hardest goal requirements for maximum rank points. Or, I could diversify, and once I get better, I could go back to earlier parts of the world and try to beat my record in previous goals to shoot up in the ranks even more. And the pro challenges are beautiful tests of your skills, focusing on specific concepts and asking you to master them. Now I'm not going to pretend that this game is perfect by any means. There are some detrimental issues with Project 8 that prevent it from shining brightly. While the goals appear to have a great deal of variety at first, they do tend to repeat them as the game goes on in an effort to pad out its runtime, which isn't really helping to stop the series from getting stale. The Nail the Trick feature, while intuitive, is only useful when a goal requires it. It's disruptive because it slows the entire game down just to slightly influence your combo, and if you make a mistake, you'll lose the whole thing anyway. And while I appreciate the game dialing back the ridiculous elements and sticking to some goofy humor like the older games, the game really doesn't have much of its own identity outside of its revamped progression system. This lack of identity was on full display in Tony Hawk's Proving Ground, perhaps the most forgettable game in the entire series. It's extremely tutorial-heavy, its goals lacked innovation, and its bland open-world design really made me miss American Wasteland and Project 8. At its core, it isn't a bad game per se, but in the face of the previous eight games, it's embarrassingly shallow. But the game being forgettable was only one of the reasons the Tony Hawk series was put on hiatus with this game. The other reason was a little game called Skate. With its intuitive dual-stick control scheme and realistic physics, the game was a lovable and refreshing take on the skateboarding genre. It completely outsold Tony Hawk's Proving Ground, and continued to have a legacy of its own. As the series progressed, I tended to enjoy it solely for the glitches and the ridiculous stuff you could do rather than the actual skating, but the first game accurately and realistically portrayed how hard skating could be. It isn't easy to string a line together in this game, but that inherently makes it rewarding. This is something that Tony Hawk games had gradually evolved away from doing. I mean, seriously. Look at how I gracefully fly around the levels and defy all known laws of reality in the process. Yeah, it's really damn fun, but it's understandable that people wanted a break. Neversoft went on to work on Guitar Hero until they lost their place under Activision and were merged into Infinity Ward in 2013. It was a sad end to a studio that was born from passion for the medium. The Tony Hawk franchise would be transferred to Robomoto, where its name would be brutally dragged through the mud. In 2009, Tony Hawk Ride was revealed. It used a skateboard-shaped controller that you could stand on and perform tricks with. This game released at the height of the Wii's popularity with the casual gaming market, so from a business perspective, this game made sense. And I can imagine from a design perspective, it probably had innocent enough intentions behind it. I mean, without the wheels, the board controller felt more like a snowboard, so it isn't entirely accurate to real-life skating, but perhaps this could introduce skateboarding to an entirely new audience. Well, as I'm sure we all know, that didn't happen. I don't have the game or the controller anymore, but I did attempt to play both Ride and Shred back in the day, and the games induced a lot of frustration at no fault of my own. The peripheral was shaky, and the games felt slapped together. They received pretty terrible reviews and sold miserably, prompting another hiatus for the series. The games existed solely to fill a gap in Activision's fiscal reports, and to capitalize on a trend, which had previously been a factor in kickstarting the series' downward spiral. Then again, this is Activision we're talking about. 
annualized franchises, milking them for all they're worth, and overpaying their CEO is just the name of the game for them. And they were about to put the final nail in the THPS coffin in order to make a quick buck. At this point, it was looking like the series had been killed off for good. But the memories people had with those earlier games never died down, and Activision had taken notice. In 2012, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater HD came as a surprise to everyone, including myself. It was marketed as a remake of Pro Skater 1 and 2, although it didn't actually include every level from those games. It was supposed to be an affordable celebration of the best content from the first two beloved games, while content from Pro Skater 3 would also join the party later that year as DLC. At first, the concept for this game was exciting. It was an opportunity to return the series to its roots, and perhaps even make a new game with the foundation they'd built here. But as soon as I had played mere seconds of it for myself, I knew something was wrong. Anyone that has played a classic Tony Hawk game, or hell, any of the Neversoft games, will tell you right away that the physics in Pro Skater HD are whack. Speed isn't dynamic or fluid like in the previous games. Sure, you can get it from slopes and stuff, but as soon as you enter a combo, it begins to feel scripted and artificial, as if your combos can only move at a predetermined speed. You just kind of awkwardly hop around levels as if you're trudging through molasses. In previous games, your momentum could increase and decrease smoothly. It accounted for manuals, reverts, slopes, rail trajectories, spine transfers, pretty much everything you did adversely affected your movement with fluidity and grace. Pro Skater HD reverts to the Pro Skater 2 moveset in a failed attempt to emulate the original games, but even if they had included all of these mechanics, you would still have to deal with the game's horrible physics. So what do I mean when I say that momentum feels artificial? Well, let me elaborate. At a certain point, I realized you could build up speed in two or three increments by holding forward on the left analog stick. Your character will kick off, and that's where the speed in this game comes from. The kicking completely erases the feeling of satisfaction from building up speed with combos. You can actually count the different speeds that your character can travel at. And the top kicking speed is pretty much identical to the top speed your character can travel in a combo. It's pitiful. And when the revert was added in an act of compensation, it was broken. If you chain a revert to a manual to a revert to a manual, your character will never slow down like they would in the other games. They'd slow down in those games in order to stop you from spamming it in a combo, and encourage you to diversify your lines. But because this game has an awkward method of handling momentum, the revert didn't translate, and here we are with a game that isn't very good. They even messed up the progression system. Instead of goals being cumulative, you have to clear a specific set of goals in the level before the one you want to unlock. It's forcibly linear, in comparison to the beautiful unlock systems in the original Pro Skater games. All of this rendered Pro Skater HD a tolerable, if pointless remake at best, or an unplayable embarrassment at worst. Now, despite this game being a disappointment, the series' reputation had yet to crumble. Some people held on to hope that a new game would come out and right the wrongs of Pro Skater HD, and despite that game being an obvious red flag in hindsight, I was young and naive back then. Surely they couldn't do any worse than Pro Skater HD, right? In an Activision press release from 2002, it was stated that Tony Hawk's licensing deal was set to expire in 2015. Seeing as the franchise had been driven into the ground, Activision threw together Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 5 in a last-ditch attempt to make some money off of the Pro Skater name. I was very skeptical after seeing it in action for the first time, but I gave Romamoto the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they were doing everything they could to make it feel like a proper Tony Hawk game. I'm not going to dance around it. Even if you've never played a Tony Hawk game in your life, I'm sure you've heard about how wretched this game ended up being. I hadn't played this game since it came out, but just booting it up to record after six years and fiddling around with it for a bit? 
caused me to remember everything. Let's take a journey. When the game initially launched, it required an 8GB update to even work. The game shipped with just the tutorial and Create a Park modes, the main game wasn't even on the disc. This threw up more red flags in my mind that the game was rushed, but I hadn't even seen the half of it yet. Our first level is the Barracks, which is pretty bland all things considered. A few basic lines and a pool outside, not much to say. Pro Skater 4 had College, a dynamic and varied campus filled to the brim with different lines around the parking garage, the fountain, the stairs and walkways, quarter pipes and places that really tied the level together, and made creating your own lines an endless feedback loop of exciting gameplay. And for everything I've said about Underground 2, you can't really overlook how enriched these levels are. From how they exude personality in their settings, to their abundance of crazy lines to string together, these are pure joy and creative excellence that play to the strengths of the engine Neversoft had built. In comparison to all of this, I'm disappointed to say that the levels in Pro Skater 5 are either terribly uninspired, or carbon copies of previous levels in the series. Bonfire Beach and Mega Park both feel like an average level you'd find in the Creative Park mode, consisting of flat rails, basic bowls, and an overall lack of personality or polish. The Bunker and School 3 very heavily borrow their level design from Hangar and School 2, respectively, to the point where School 3 is mostly a direct rip of School 2's design assets, with higher altitudes and less intelligent combo potential embedded into its sloppy design. Actually, the recommended line in School 3 is insulting to the player's intelligence, and completely neglects the freeform path forging you could do in its predecessor from 15 years prior. I somewhat enjoyed messing around on the rooftops due to its double jump gimmick, but there were a couple of major issues that prevented me from fully appreciating it. For one, the level doesn't flow very well. It's a series of basic grinds on multiple levels that lead you into boring skate parks that you've already seen plenty of times before. And that double jump gimmick isn't nearly as gratifying as it could have been because the game still plays like Pro Skater HD. That is to say, like garbage. Although your top speed is a bit faster, all of the problems that Pro Skater HD had still exist here. Even if you try to gain speed with a massive double jump, the game will move at the same speed when you land in a quarter pipe regardless of how much height you gain. The special meter was also destroyed in this game. When you charge it up, you hit L1 to activate it and enter a flurry of random tricks. Sometimes your character will do tricks that you aren't expecting and you'll bail, ruining your combo. It's one of the most frustrating changes they've made to this game, and they broke something that didn't need to be fixed. And speaking of frustration, they've also added the slam button, which is one of the most disruptive mechanics I've ever seen in a video game. I've had my combo end plenty of times due to the slam button, because it's mapped to the same button as the grind button. Imagine trying to wall ride or reach a higher rail, and then slamming down onto the ground below and completely destroying your combo. Thankfully, an update was shipped that gave players the option to turn it off. But the damage was done, and no amount of updates could fix the lack of inspiration or passion in this game. None of the goals really correspond to any of the level's themes. They repeat goal themes so frequently that it makes playing through the game feel like a chore. And most of the goal themes aren't even good. Going through rings, doing combos to stop my head from exploding, playing a game of Tony Says, collecting objects in a string of lines that are set up linearly for you. These might be cute the first time, but there's one of each of these missions in every level. They never change. And they are so bland and non-specific in testing concepts that the core of the experience completely falls apart. The goals being the same exacerbates a problem that was creeping into the series, but Pro Skater 5 makes these instances look like a friggin' buffet of ideas. I shouldn't really have to say anything more. Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 5, if you can even call it Pro Skater 5, is a game that was very blatantly shoved out to turn a profit. 
It desperately clings to any semblance of identity to market itself, but the entire game falls apart once you play it. Also, it's broken. Really, really broken. But the bugs are just a small drop in an ocean of problems. If you haven't played this game and find yourself curious about how bad it truly is, stifle your intrigue. The game will never be worth your time or money. It left an irreversible negative impact on the legacy of Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. Although Activision would choose to let the license expire after Pro Skater 5 failed, a dedicated community continued to keep the franchise's legacy alive. Thug Pro is a mod for Underground 2 that features levels from across the entire series. You can play a ton of multiplayer modes, it's incredibly customizable, and the community is usually super friendly. I've been playing this mod regularly for about 5 or 6 years, and almost every time I hop into a populated lobby, I've been able to have casual discussions and friendly competitions with people, even when they're way better than I am. The sense of belonging I feel when I mess around in this mod reminds me of real-life skateboarding, actually. We'd all experienced the rise and fall of this once great franchise, so we could all automatically assume we had something in common as we showed off our best combos and self-expression in our tricks and our custom skaters. All of this reflects real skateboarding, if you can believe it. Customizing your board so that you have something to talk about with other skaters at the park, and inventing your own tricks and lines to express individuality. Although Tony Hawk's gameplay would eventually evolve far away from real-life skateboarding, the series has always been closely tied with it. More than anything, the series' closest connection with skateboarding lies in its music. It was a delicious blend of ska-punk, rock, hip-hop, metal, rap, and more. I would go as far as to say that Pro Skater's music influenced what people view as music for skateboarders. The game had such a wide outreach thanks to its appeal, and the developers inadvertently influenced what people were listening to. A lot of these songs became associated with the games they were featured in, introducing an entirely new group of people to some great music. But when you're talking about the music of Pro Skater, there's one song that you just can't avoid mentioning. So, 20 years have passed since Pro Skater launched. We're grown-ups now. We have lives to live. Some of us even have families. And throughout our lives, most of us have probably gone through some rough patches. Times where we've been unsure of our next move. Times where things were out of our control and we didn't know what to do. The Birdman himself certainly went through these moments in his career. When vert skating was fading out and street skating became the dominant avenue for the sport, he did everything he could to survive and keep revenue coming in. And as his history demonstrates, these rough patches are temporary. Sometimes, we just need something to bide our time. Tony Hawk's Pro Skater was the perfect game for this. It was addictive, and it could be replayed plenty of times. It was freeing, it was clever, and it enabled an entire generation of non-skaters to pretend they were Tony Hawk. To pretend they were a Superman. Goldfinger had a small following before this song was included in THPS, and the song's inclusion unquestionably gave the band its big break. Their music oozed the most delectable punk rock sound, but their lyrics transcended this sound. They were catchy, energetic, influential. Superman is a song about enjoying your golden years before they fly by. 20 years is a long time in theory, but it feels like I could blink and lose a year of my life sometimes. But time is what you make of it. For professional skateboarders, this means devoting your life to learning tricks, keeping your balance, and inventing an identity for yourself. 
Skateboarding, inherently, is a sport that revolves around artistry. It's an outlet for people to express themselves. And it's necessary to have that when you feel like you're being drowned out in life. Activision recently released Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2, which was a proper remake of the first two games in light of the success that Crash and Spyro brought them. Developed by Vicarious Visions, this remake kicks some serious ass. The physics are quick and snappy, fluid and responsive, and the new goals introduced in the original Pro Skater fit right in with the mechanics from later games, like the wall plan or spine transfer. It has a proper progression system in its online multiplayer mode, split screen has returned in all of its glory, and it has the most in-depth creator mode I've seen in the entire series. I'm not sure if this will ever result in a new Pro Skater game, but it was something that people needed. It came at the right time. It let people relive their childhood and pass the time with something fun, while the world was seemingly at a standstill. It communicated to our modern world how important Tony Hawk's Pro Skater was for game design and everyone. Without it, skateboarding would not have become mainstream. I was skidding around the neighborhood the other day, and I rode past a couple of people around my age on skateboards as well. We smiled and acknowledged each other, but there was something else. An unspoken bond that almost all skaters my age likely share. We were on a skateboard for at least one common reason. And yet, based on my own experience, it's almost unfathomable that this became a reality. In Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, your character effortlessly glides between lines in an endless combo and flies through levels at breakneck speeds. Unlike the video game, real-life skateboarding is really, really difficult. Even when learning to ride around and get comfortable, you're gonna fall down a lot and it's gonna hurt. But it's an essential part of learning. So, I guess, in a sense, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater did emulate skateboarding pretty well. Because these older and more acclaimed Tony Hawk games taught patience. We try over and over again because we know that eventually, we can make everything come together. I've been Liam Triforce. Thanks for watching.